Now, my wife and my, her mom talk almost every night, so at this time in our lives, being, getting a call at 9.30 was not really a big deal. And when, the way she answered the phone told me that it likely was her mom calling, except about two seconds into that phone call when her cheery greeting turned into this distraught disposition that she was totally trying to figure out what was going on on the phone, and her face looked like it, and my wife's pretty smart, so when her face gets all twisted and contorted like she doesn't know what's going on, that kind of made me twisted and contorted like I didn't know what was going on, and I'm only hearing one half of the conversation. And so my wife sits there on the phone, and she's trying to figure out what's going on, and she's using words like, what happened, and, well, was anything else taken, and are you okay? And in that moment where I was trying to figure it out, I was feeling all twisted. I was feeling this tension. And finally she gets off the phone and I'm like, what happened? And she says, my parents were robbed. And so as we talked about what, that, what was going on and, and when that was, that it was spring, they were out of town and someone had broken into their house. And so they started to figure out and discover what exactly was taken. Literally, it was a mess. Figuratively, it was a mess. So they had to scour the house to discover what's happened. They scoured Craigslist to see what they could recover that was a little bit harder to replace. Then they had to go through the house and look at the security and the insecurity, that the vulnerabilities that their house had. Like, how secure was that back door? And does every window have a security system on it? They installed a new security system. They installed new security lights. They went throughout the yard to figure out just where and how and how this wouldn't happen again. Even though they put all those securities in place, they felt unbelievably insecure. They could not recover everything. And it wasn't just stuff. They didn't figure it out until they actually went on vacation. The thing they couldn't recover was this sense of peace. I don't think you have to be robbed to lose your peace. In fact, if, you, if we look today at the story, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Shar Shalom is the name, and Shalom is this state that's more than just the absence of conflict. Shalom is a state of rest, like everything is okay. It's a state of security. It's a state of prosperity, and it's a state of harmony. In fact, I think the best way to describe it would be to... Uh, to demonstrate my violin skills. Now, my, my children decided to pick up the violin, so as you see my American Girl doll-sized violin, uh, just know that I don't normally play this one. The violin is a stringed instrument, and one of the great things about stringed instruments is that they can't hide who you are. Like, if you are confident on the outside, or on the inside, if you have confidence in this instrument, it will come out as you're playing it. And if you don't have confidence in your violin skills, that may come out as well. So, uh, the sorry, hang on. Now, I guess that's not shalom. That's the opposite of shalom. So if you think harmony and then you hear that's not shalom. Now shalom affects every part of our life just like I probably just you lost 
parts of life listening to me play the violin. Because I, I can't play that instrument. And harmony inside and around us and throughout the world is the best way to describe this thing called shalom. And we've all lost some shalom. And when we talk about this idea of shalom, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than people who get robbed. When we talk about shalom today, we see that God comes to the city of peace. That's what Jerusalem is named. He comes to the city of peace to bring peace as the prince of peace. And God comes because he generously wants to restore that peace and give people this hope that things are going to be okay, that we'll never have to hear a sound like that again. And yet, the scriptures say that Jesus looks at this city and he weeps over it. He says, if you only knew what could bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And we'll talk about what that means today. We'll look at these stories that we know Palm Sunday as. And we'll see that, that it's not just a story about a couple robberies and the restoration of peace. It's not just an event that we put on the church calendar called Palm Sunday that most of us go, what? Palm Sunday? Um, but it's really about what was stolen or taken from us, how we reacted to it, and how we can be restored in it. And we need it. We need peace. Look throughout the world, no matter where you live, tension, anger, I would even say hate, fill our communities and our schools and our workplaces We're going to talk about peace today, and there was not peace in my home about two hours ago. I know. (laughs) At least we're real, right? We're making it real. But beyond that, there is robbery. There is violence. There's murder. There's death. There's all these things. And, you know, you look throughout the world, and they fill every city and every place in the world, no matter where it is and no matter how wealthy it is. Because the world needs peace. Our cities need peace. I would say, each of us needs peace. And it's not just, Jesus brings peace, and you can have it. It's, what is keeping us from allowing Jesus to be peace in our life that we so desperately, desperately need? See, we've been talking about how God meets each one of us uniquely in this series called Storytellers and how we need to share that story with others because God could actually use our story, not because it's amazing, but because he's amazing, to bring transformation to people's lives. We've used a phrase like, how can people find peace if they don't know who to trust? And how can they trust if they don't know who can be trusted? And how can they trust the one who can be trusted if they've never heard about this person? So we should tell our story. And so we've been asking courageous people throughout our congregation to say, could you share part of your story of how God met you? And each week of this series, so far we've looked at four different people and how they've met God in a unique way. 
And we've looked at a different attribute of God alongside each of these stories. And today, we look at this attribute of Jesus, the title of God called Shar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And in the story, we see him coming as this prince. But he doesn't just come as this prince in the story. He comes as a prince of peace into each one of our lives. And in Sean's story, it explains, he explains how God met him in the midst of this story. And how if we really truly accept God's peace, how he can fill our lives to share that story. Listen as Sean shares his story of unrest and rest, or unpeace and peace. And then we'll look at Matthew, or Luke 19. Today I want to share some stories uh, about playing the violin um, and what God has taught me through those experiences. Um, I grew up in a small town in a very musical family. Everybody in my family played an instrument or sang or did something. Uh, so when I was six years old, I asked my mom if I could take violin lessons. Um, and from that point on, all through high school, I took weekly violin lessons. Um, and that was just something that was really important to me. Uh, people told me that I was good at it, um, that I excelled. Um, and it was important to me because I had chosen to do it on my own. Fast forwarding several years um, in high school, um, I was asked to play for my high school graduation. It was a small graduating class, really small ceremony. Um, and I remember that I uh, chose this piece called Adoration. And um, I get up on stage and I'm wearing my uh, graduation gown and my dad is accompanying me on the piano. And everything is going really well with this uh, performance. And I get to the very last note and it's really high up on my instrument. And it's supposed to just uh, fade off into nothingness and be totally smooth and serene. And it didn't exactly end up that way. Um, I reached my, my bow arm up to play this note and all of a sudden it just starts to shake um, uncontrollably. And instead of it being smooth and beautiful, it's just this horrible bumpy sound. And that was not something I had ever experienced before. Um, it was kind of out of control and I barely made it through uh, the note. So this actually brings up, I think, the blessing and the curse of uh, playing a stringed instrument, and that is that it's really hard to hide uh, what you're feeling on the inside. I think it translates uh, really directly. If you're feeling uh, passionate and confident, then your violin is gonna say that. Uh, but if you're feeling insecure, like I was um, for that last note at the graduation, then it's also going to project that. This was the first time that I um, had really experienced this, but unfortunately it wasn't uh, the last. I was not too happy with that performance at graduation, but I didn't think too much of it. Uh, the next year, I started the violin performance program at St. Olaf College, and when I got on campus, I was surrounded by um, all these violinists that were uh, way better than me and way more advanced. Every week we had a performance class uh, where we would, each person would get up on stage um, and play the piece that they were working on and then after that 
uh, those in the audience would have a chance to make comments and give criticism. I remember one week I went into my teacher's office and he told me that it would be my turn to perform uh, the next week. And so I remember it was a Thursday night. I walked up on stage and I started to, I, I got my violin ready to play the first note of this piece. And uh, it was an open string, the lowest string on my instrument. And it was supposed to be smooth and drawn out and last a long time. And again, I brought my bow up and I felt the same feeling that I felt when I was at my graduation, just this uncontrollable um, shakiness. I tried to slow my bow down, I tried to press down harder on the string, I tried to grip the bow harder, um, more tightly, uh, in order to control the sound. But believe it or not, none of that worked. Um, it actually made it worse. That experience playing in performance class really shook me up a lot. Um, here was this program in college that I had worked really hard to get into, and playing the violin was something that I wanted to do professionally, and it was not, not working out that way at all. Um, after that, I had a pretty intense fear of playing in front of people, and it turned into an anxiety leading up to performances, not just when I walked on stage, uh, but also beforehand. I really just hated that feeling more than anything. I started to resent um, the anxiety itself, and it's almost like I said, that feeling of shakiness is the worst thing in the world, and I will do everything I can to stop that. And looking back, in so doing, I had identified the thing that I must have more than anything else, and that is to feel comfortable while I was performing. Well, Sean bravely talks about how he had this anxiety that built and built and built and built in him. And he was able to identify that this anxiety went to this place where he was seeking comfort in front of his group and his peers. And we're coming into a season uh, of the spring where there are finals that are happening in, in college students' lives and high school students' lives. We're coming to a season where there's a transition of, of seasons, literally, and then in life change. And anytime there's a transition, there's often this chance for this anxiety or this unrest to come in. And in the story that we're going to look at in the scriptures today in Luke 19, there are all kinds of unrest that's happening in the text. There's all kinds of potential conflict that's there, and yet Jesus navigates that in a unique way that I want us to, I hope we will see as we read it. So we're going to be in Luke 19, and we're going to start in uh, verse 37. You'll probably see it on the screen. I, I'm going to read two before that, but if we could open with a word of prayer as we read God's word. God, we acknowledge today that we all come from a different place today. Some of us are in a place where we can completely identify with Sean. If we had to hold our arm up, it might be shaking. God, there are situations in each of our lives where, where we may or may not see you at work. God, we might be here and, and really just still trying to acknowledge the fact that, that you exist and that you may have appeared in this person of Jesus. 
God, others of us are not thinking about the godly aspects of the holiday coming up. We are just thinking about the family aspects and the relational dynamics coming up, and it's causing unrest and disharmony within us. God, I pray that we would read your word today and we would see not only what you were doing in the midst of that text, God, in the midst of history, but you would tell us what you're doing in the midst of each of our stories. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is entering the town of Jerusalem at this point in the story. It's a transition moment. And for the writer Luke, he's been telling about this journey to Jerusalem this whole time. And so now he is actually at the pre-climax to this point in his life. For three years, he's denied who he is, at least publicly to people, people who've declared him to be the Savior and declared him to be the Messiah. He's kind of gone, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. And in this story, in this moment, he's now allowing the world and the publicity of the day to say, yes, I am exactly who you think I am. And we'll see that in the midst of this as well. And Jerusalem is filled with disharmony, as much disharmony then as it probably has today. And there's a couple oddities, a couple robberies, if you will. The first one is in the verses right before we're about to read, where Jesus says, I need you to go get this donkey's colt from this, you'll go down the road, you'll see it tied up there, just go take it. If the owner asks what you're doing, just say, well, the Lord needs it. And the disciples go, and it's exactly as he said. So they seem to rob a guy of his donkey. And then they go down the road from, from this one mountain over here where Bethany and Bethpage is, down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and then up the uh, east side of the hill that leads up to the temple and up to Jerusalem. And, and people are filling this. Hundreds of thousands of people have come for the festival, the Jewish festival called Passover, and they're about to celebrate that. So the, the crowds are huge and packed. There's excitement in the air that, that we might not hear as I read it. But it says, when he came to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They said, blessed is the one, it, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, some of the religious people in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the coming of God to you. And he entered the temple courts and he began to drive out those who were selling. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers. In the midst of this story, we see people proclaiming Jesus, ready to crown him king. We see others conspiring to kill him. We see others simply ignoring him, selling exploiting, 
all kinds of different reactions to Jesus' announcement that he is the coming king. But all of them have their peace dislodged. All of them have a different reaction. So how about you? When you lose your peace, what's your reaction? When I lose my peace, I start to feel like a merry-go-round with rubber bands all at the bottom of it, getting wound and wound and wound and wound and wound and wound and wound. And it's, it's like, whoa, whenever that spins, woo, it's going to be crazy. I look around to see what's happening around me. In the text, it looks like the people around here are looking around to see what's happening around them. They're starting to say, why is it not going the way we expected? The crowd that's, gonna, that's ready to crown him on this Friday, or this Sunday, is ready to kill him on Friday. They're looking around to try and figure out what is going on, but yet they're not exactly sure. So they search and search and search. And I think that's what each of us do. When we lose our peace, we look around to say, how can we get it back? When I'm feeling wound up, I don't want to feel that way, so I'm going to do whatever I can to replace it. I think each of us do that. Now, the religious leaders did it. When the people are praising God and making this claim on Jesus, they immediately say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because in their minds, they'd rather have things bad and calm than have a riot. They think peace is just the absence of war. Well, if you live with people, you know. Just because we're not in a fight doesn't mean everything's okay. The the money changers, the people who are robbing God and the people, when Jesus comes into town for them, Jesus looks at them and he just sees people that are taking advantage of the fact that tens of thousands of people are there and they're making some bucks off it and they're just basically substituting actual peace with God with money. They think money is going to get them the security they want. Going to get them the prosperity they want. Well, man, I I don't think that translates into 2014, does it? Because none of us substitute something else when we're robbed of peace. When I'm getting round up and I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure it out, but many of us, we want to substitute something else in. For some of us, it is money, just like that. For others of us, you know, we think, if I can just save enough money, if it's just retirement, it's that long-range money. For others of us, it's comfort. Sean said it. I just want to feel comfortable as I play this piece of music. Some of us, we think that if we can play something perfectly or do something perfectly, we're going to have that peace. Or if I can just have the right friends. Or if I can only stop fighting with my spouse. Or if my kids could just do things right. We substitute all kinds of things in for peace. But it's a peace that never really truly lasts. So we can't stop there. We've got to go farther than that. We've got to go farther than looking around. So usually it's about every other week, but regularly I pray with some pastors in the area, and we're sitting around the table, and we're 
we're praying about this, this week coming up, kind of a big week for people that are in ministry. And one of the pastors who's been in ministry 30 years says uh, that he was laying awake that night. He tried to fall asleep, he started to fall asleep, and then boom, it's about midnight, and his, his eyes are just staring up at the ceiling, and he's going over and over and over and over and over in his head, this conversation that he'd had that night with a congregation member who said he wanted to do something, and this guy was all disgruntled about it. And as he listened and told me about this disharmony, I thought to myself, oh, that's so nice that someone else has, you know, neurotic behaviors, that they're fine, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And gosh, he's done this for twice as long as I have, and he's still doing weird things like that. I'm glad I'm so mature. Uh, you know, maybe that's how you get encouraged, too. And then less than 24 hours later, I'm the one that's doing the same thing. And I'm going, wait, my job is to focus on God. That's what, that's what I get to do with my life. And we sat around the room and one by one talked about how hard it is to just focus on being present with Jesus. So I'm going to tell you, Jesus is going to come into the city to bring peace. And one of the ways we do that is to just be present with God. But in no way am I just saying, oh, I think it's that easy. Just be present. No, there's, there's more than that. That's, that's where we got to start. But Jesus says it's hidden from their eyes. So it's, it's harder to find. So I would say we have to look at for what's hidden. It's why my in-laws, when they went on vacation, then they discovered what they had truly lost. It's like the, the Pharisees that when they said, you know, quiet the crowds, it really wasn't about, it really wasn't about that riot or the lack of riot. It was really about retaining power keeping the status quo. For some of us, when we come into places where we lose our peace, we just want to grab on and we want to control it. We want to be the ones to make it happen. The robbers, they weren't just buying and selling. They were seeking their comfort through money, not through prayer. All these ways that we could potentially substitute are only part of the journey. Sean said, I, I realized that comfort was my number one desire. Well, if you've been around church for a while, you should know that any time we say a number one desire, and it's not God, it's idolatry. And if it's hidden, then we've got to look beyond it. We've got to look underneath it. We've got to say, why is that? Why am I substituting the money, the power, the control, the perfection, the comfort. And what can I do about it? Or more importantly, what does God want to do about it? Well, Sean went on that courageous journey. So let's take a look. So I continued to play in college and some performances were fine and others were not so fine. Um, as you can imagine, I tried to work through what was going on. Um, I remember before one performance, taking um, an eight and a half by 11 uh, sheet of blank paper and a pencil and writing out every desire that I had, everything that I wanted as it related to the performance. Um, and then I remember writing out, trying to think of what was behind those, why I wanted those things. And um, I remember I filled the entire page with pencil and, I, and God really used that um, to show me um, 
just a lot of the selfishness and the pride that was that was in me. Doing that really helped, um, but there were still these moments of near panic when I would get up um, on stage while I was playing, and it was always at the worst possible time. It was when I was exposed and when I didn't want anybody uh, to notice. Exactly when I didn't want it to happen was always when my bow would begin to shake. Around the end of my sophomore year, I played a recital where um, I specifically remember standing backstage and feeling okay about the possibility of making a mistake. Um, I remember actually telling myself, I am going to mess up. And believe it or not, that was not an attitude of defeat. Somehow, God had helped me um, to accept the anxiety, the fear itself. When I walked on stage and I started to play the first note, predictably, I started to shake and just feel terrible. Um, but in that moment, God helped me to stop fighting um, the symptom of my nerves. And through that, uh, my nerves actually went away. And I enjoyed that performance uh, more than I had enjoyed a performance in a long time. Since then, I've had a lot of um, experiences performing and actually still dealing with that same issue. Recently, I was playing at a different church, um, playing a hymn, and there was an instrumental interlude in the middle of this where I was supposed to play the melody. I could feel myself getting nervous, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, it sounded as bad as that first performance class. I remember walking off the platform after we played that song and feeling so frustrated and even angry that I was still dealing with this after playing the violin for 21 years, that I was still having to um, accept this horrible feeling. In these moments of feeling really anxious while I'm playing, what I really want to do is just lift my bow off the string or to press it down even harder to try to control it or to tighten my grip. But none of these things have worked for me. Um, but God has shown me the fix for this, and that is to focus my attention on moving my bow horizontally across the string, which is the most basic part of playing the violin. It's the thing that you're supposed to do just to make music. So it's in focusing on what I'm doing rather than what I'm trying to avoid uh, that this fear has finally dissipated. The catch here is that this choice for me always has to be made in the moment that I'm playing. I can't make it beforehand. It's always right when I'm faced with it, I have to make that decision. Oswald Chambers is a Christian author that has written something I think that relates to this that I want to read. If we could see the floor of God's immediate presence, we would find it strewn with the toys of God's children who have said, this is broken. I can't play with it anymore. Please give me another present. Only one in a thousand sits down in the midst of it all and says, I will watch my father mend this. So what I want to say is that God has used these experiences of playing the violin to illustrate to me that he wants me to sit with him in a variety of situations, not just while playing the violin. He wants me to be willing 
to move forward with him to move my bow horizontally across the string um, rather than lift it up and refuse to play. What I've learned through this is that God is with me in the midst of my anxiety. He wants me to work through uh, what the root cause is. Maybe there's uh, pride or selfishness behind it. He wants me to work through those things, but he also wants me to know that he is sitting with me when I'm experiencing that discomfort. He doesn't want me to uh, run away from him. He wants me to come closer to him and to be willing to continue to walk um, so that he can be our father. Just like Sean, God wants, to, God wants us to experience that transforming joy from accepting him, not only as Jesus, our Savior, but as that mighty Messiah, the one who comes in peace to bring peace, so that we can have peace not just with God, but in us, with each other, and really see that in the world, to be a person of peace who walks through life, able to sense another's anxiety and hold peace with them. It's, it's the most amazing hope. It's, it's why we started this church, and it's possible as we live in those moments. And really, one of the most simple responses that's in this story is one that I think we can take. It's so basic. When the disciples go and Jesus says, just take the donkey, and if somebody says anything, just say the Lord needs it. The disciples logically could have argued about why that was a really dumb answer, but they didn't. They could have ignored him, but they would have missed the procession. Instead, they just accepted the Lord needs it. I think some of us, probably many of us, taking the simple answer from Jesus would bring us so much peace. It's really, really basic. And, and just like sliding the bow across the instrument is so basic. I just have a couple things. If you're struggling with peace, there's just a couple things we can do that are so basic. We remember that God's with us all the time. That, that we are, we got to remember who we are. We're human. We have limits. I know this is shocking for some of us. A mirror. So we can't work all the time. We can't go and go and go. We've got to rest. We've got to know that at night when we lay our head down, God isn't sleeping. He wasn't exhausted from the day. In fact, he's going to go before us today. And he's going to go before us this evening. And, and I just encourage you in this idea of remembering who you are and living in limits. That one thing you practice this week is when you go to bed at night, pretend that's the start of the day. And that God's going to work for four or six or eight hours or ten if you're lucky. He's going to be at work. And then when you wake up, you get to join him in whatever you're doing. That's one of the ways that we can remember this. The other way that we can live in this is that each day we can take responsibility for being human and not God. And, and do what we can in our responsibilities and give up control for the other responsibilities. So we can pray in that way. We can stop each week in remembering who we are 
and practice this thing called rest or Sabbath. I've actually done this the last seven weeks in the first three years of this ministry, done it really poorly. And so my new day off is Monday, and I actually take it. It's awesome. My wife's off too, and so I'm not going to answer the phone on that day, and I appreciate your help in that. That's one of the ways. I'm remembering who I am and who we are as humans. That's number one. Number two, we remember who Jesus is. That's why we worship. When we remember who Jesus is, that he's the coming king, that's when we hold up these palm branches that we're going to do in a second. When the disciples laid their coats down, they were saying Jesus isn't just this teacher. He is the anointed king. He is the one who comes to save the world. That's why we lift those things up. That should lead us to worship. That should lead us to being able to stop, to being able to rest, to being a person of peace. If we remember who Jesus is, as we remember who we are. A couple of ways you can do that are tangibly coming on Good Friday. We have different stations and group, smaller group worship experience and communion and just seeing what Jesus did to bring us peace through the bloody crucifixion. We invite you to Easter on Sunday morning to proclaim the victory that Jesus had over sin and Satan and death that actually is the reason that we have this peace with God and that we can have it with each other. But I don't just invite you to that. I invite you to ask God, God, is there anyone I need to tell my story to to invite to experience your peace and see what God does with it. So the kids are going to come in. It's going to get a little crazy, but it usually does when the king of kings comes in. So let, us, let me pray for us. God, as we think about this story and your majestic march in, we remember that you don't come as a king on a chariot to overtake and and stake your claim of peace. You come humbly in peace to bring peace. God, you don't take the people's emotions from the crowd saying you're the king, and you don't take their emotion from stealing or shouting or rioting or killing. And God, I thank you that in the midst of all those emotions, you accept us as we humbly come to you. So I pray that you would look at our lives, God, you would show us what's hidden in us and that we would, we would stay in that, like Sean said. We wouldn't run from it, but we would stay in it until we see what you want us to see and then we give it to you as our Prince of Peace. Help us to remember who we are, whose we are, and who you are.